Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. This is Cork Today. Cork Today with Patricia Messenger on C103. And a very good morning to you. Bernie is taking your calls for the final day today because John Paul is back with us tomorrow. So, uh, John, Ber- Bernie taking the calls today at 1850-333-103. Anything you want to share with us this morning, we'd love to hear from you. You can text our WhatsApp 0862-103-103. What a sad, sad story of that elderly gentleman, 85-year-old, who was uh, discovered dead in his home in Cork on Friday and it looks like uh, that he may have been undiscovered for at least uh, seven months. Uh, Richie Scanlon was the gentleman's name. He was discovered in Madden's building in Blackpool. On Friday, uh, a neighbour called to the property, contacted Gardaí and then the discovery was made on the Gardaí, not in any way treating the incidents as suspicious. It's uh, believed that Mr Scanlon died of natural causes and an autopsy was conducted on his body at uh, CUH. Um, Mr Scanlon's funeral is going to take place uh, tomorrow and the current Lord Mayor of Cork, a Blackpool-based uh, councillor who's in fact a doctor, uh, John Sheen, passed on his sympathies to the family and, and he obviously knew him because he described Mr Scanlon as an absolute gentleman and said the community in Blackpool is very, very shocked. And it's the second such incident, according to Kevin O'Neill in today's Examiner, to have happened this year because in May the body of George Harrington was found in his apartment in the Glen and it was likely that his body also, Mr Harrington's body was also there for a number of months. Now a Garda source said these incidents unfortunately are not unusual and they happen happen several times a year. Age Action in Cork they're obviously calling on all communities to keep an eye out on elderly and vulnerable people. John O'Mahony of Age Action National Development Manager in Cork said that it's sad and unacceptable that this kind of thing happens. He said more needs to be done to consolidate the services available to people and to make sure that nobody falls uh, through the uh, cracks. And, And I'm sure, you know, as the mayor, Lord Mayor John Sheehan said, you know, people in the area will be absolutely devastated. Nobody would like to think that one of our own had passed away on their own and that the body wasn't discovered for seven months. But you can have older people who become very isolated, who choose to become very isolated and don't interact with anyone. And neighbours can find it quite hard to try to connect 
uh, with people uh, because generally speaking I think we as a community and as, as a society are good to look after our own and good to look after our uh, elderly but it's just such a sad sad uh, story and may uh, Richie Scandon uh, rest in peace and actually it kind of well death and dying uh, is a topic we're going to be discussing it sounds a bit more but we're going to be discussing it on the programme uh, later on because I'm going to be speaking with a gentleman an author by the name of Kevin Tolis who wrote a book I think this book came out in 2017 the book is called My Father's Wake How the Irish Teach Us to Live, Love and Die and the reason we're talking about it uh, today on the programme it has the, there is a show that's going to be part of the the West Cork Arts Festival that's happening this weekend that is a collaboration and there's going to be music and poetry and uh, song and I imagine extracts from this particular book. It's in, it's in collaboration with Kevin Tolis. Um, so we got a copy of the book. I was intrigued by this show that's going on as part of the festival. So much so that I said, got to get my hands on this book and read the book. So I spent the weekend uh, reading the book. And it's all about, well, it's based around Kevin's father dying out on Ackle Island and the hour, the days and hours leading up to the father's death and then the wake and and how we do how we do wakes and we do wakes very well in this country and i think it's only when you get people from even just across the water from the United Kingdom when they come here to Ireland if they've never attended an Irish funeral before they're kind of blown away by the number of people that show up and the support that the bereaved uh, get and if you yourself have gone abroad to a funeral you'll know it's very different Irish funerals and particularly the wake is a very unique thing I think in this country and I just think we do as well in that we look after the dying and the dead well and I think we also look after the bereaved quite well for that period, that initial period of time in the days and weeks after a loved one has passed away. So it's 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 a heartwarming and very moving book. It can be a tough read at times as well, but I'm interested in talking to Kevin about the book and, and really interested in talking to what reaction he got to the book because obviously it's it's aimed more at a UK market than an Irish market because I was kind of reading the book nodding going, yeah, this book is talking about every funeral. I was was ever at from a very young child right up to the last funeral I was ever at so I wasn't surprised by anything in the book but obviously if you haven't if you're not used to Irish funerals and Irish wakes and the fact that we lay out the dead person and people come to view the corpse that can be alien to people from other countries so people might be quite shocked by some of the contents in the book so we'll speak with uh, Kevin uh, later on today on the programme also we're going to be hearing this was the news that broke that the UK, the last of the UK insurance firms has decided to pull out of the leisure industry in this uh, country. Could this mean the end of bouncy castles? Could it mean the end of play centres centers, and outdoor play adventure parks for children? And obviously a lot of those places are very busy now that we're in the summer months and the children are off school and parents who are staycationing will be bringing their children to many of those centres or when you're on holidays you'll attend many of those centres. Bouncy castles certainly came back into vogue for the communion season this year. There was very few neighbourhoods that if you didn't have a first holy communicant that didn't have a bouncy castle in somebody's garden will they all be gone because of course the companies running those have to have insurance and you tie in with this how many jobs will be lost 
because these companies, if they can't get insurance, they're going to have to close down and they can't even sell it on because if they, 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 they can't sell it on to anyone because if they can't get insurance, nobody else is going to get insurance uh, going forward. So we're going to be looking at that and trying to work out what is the possible answer how do we get around this? What do the government need to do? We're going to speak once again with the Alliance for Insurance for Reform, but in particular speaking to somebody who has an indoor play centre to find out what are the possible solutions. We're going to hear about the latest casualty to the ongoing issue of the crumbling weir in Formoy and it's coincidental that we're doing it today because it's only in the papers yet again there seems to be another row and a battle going on as to who is going to fund the repair of the weir. This is a historic weir in Formoy. It's been crumbling for many years. We've been years on this programme talking about the decline of the weir. It's now got so bad that it's affecting anything that happens on the river in and around uh, Formoy. We know already the regatta one of the country's best known regattas uh, for the first time in living memory had to be cancelled this year. Simply not enough water on the uh, river and it's been all affected by the weir and the triathlon in Formoy had to be cancelled as well. And today we're going to hear about the latest casualty and the latest casualty is the wheelie boat. And I really was upset when I heard about this because the wheelie boat, if my memory serves me right, has been on the Blackwater out of Formoy for the last 12 years and I remember getting involved doing interviews at the time when they were trying to fundraise and get the money together for the wheelie boat and it's been a huge success and it's been you know particularly for people who are in wheelchairs who are anglers and want to fish and a great tourist attraction as well people have come from far and wide to go on the wheelie boat and children have gone on the wheelie boat so I really was devastated when I heard the news that the wheelie boat has become the latest casualty to the crumbling weir in Formoy so we'll chat about that uh, on the programme the 23% possible that increase on health food products like your supplements and your vitamins and your minerals we spoke a lot about this at the start of the year when the announcement was first made in December I think it took a few weeks for the news to trickle down and for people to realise how this was going to affect them we know one of the most popular slots on this programme is with Annalise Drussell who runs the Health Hub in Times Square in Balancolic and we know from people people like the idea of getting supplements and getting vitamins uh, trying to make themselves better or trying to keep themselves well trying to keep themselves healthy and that's what all those products uh, are about there's been a zero rate of of VAT now some of those products are very expensive already and that's with a zero rate of VAT on it if you suddenly go from zero to 23% those products become very, very expensive uh, indeed. So we're going to be chatting about the, 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 it's back on the agenda again, it seems. And the campaign now is going to have to start again and getting the public involved because it was certainly, I think, the public reaction. I always think when you get people power and you really get people to sign petitions and get behind these campaigns, it can and does make a difference. So I think we're going to be back out again trying to campaign and trying to get people to realise what the effect this will have on you if this goes ahead and if revenue decide that yes they're going to set the rate at 23%. Uh, percent. Um, we're also hoping to speak with Andrew Boyle who runs the Aragon Animal 
sanctuary. Uh, he, this is the door of the explorer, the wallaby, who went on the loose in North Cork and is back safe and sound. We want to do a follow up on that particular uh, story. And then Joe Heflin continues today to talk about depression. We started this last week when we were looking at research that was out showing that young Irish girls in particular have the highest rate of depression across when you, when you look at their peers across uh, Europe. So we're talking about depression and how and the effects of depression on young people and uh, what we as caregivers and uh, teachers and helpers and even indeed their friends can do to help them out. So that and more on the programme. Your thoughts and comments welcomed throughout the morning. 1850 Bernie takes the calls. Text WhatsApp 0862 103 103. I've had a response by the way from Cork County Council. This was a query that we sent to Cork County Council last Friday when one of our listeners contacted us about the N71 from Bally de Hob to Bantry. And this was from Mara, one of our listeners, uh, who's explained that it's a national road that has never, ever been completely repaired or lined, despite reassurances. Mara in the email says it's been a year since the crew put a terribly put a terribly resurfaced section and it's never been lined and was wondering, could we find out what's going on for people who live in that area? It's... uh, Marwan's first say we take our lives in our hands every single trip that we make made. Anyway, we got on to Cork County Council to see if they could update us to what's happening, what's going on. There seems to be a lot of uh, assurances to local people that work was going to happen on the N71 from Valley to Hub to Bantry. So they're back to us with an apology for delay to the response. Thank you for that. And they say they are Cork County Council is currently preparing tender documents for repairs to a section of the N71 between Bally to Hob and Bantry. Now don't get too excited because it is a section of it. It isn't the entire route. The intention is to appoint a contractor, start work on the ground by the end of September of this year and then Cork County Council expects to receive funding again in 2020 for a second section of the N21 between Bally to Hob and Bantry and then further funding in 2021 to complete the last section. So it's going to be at least done in three sections and it is going to be 2021 uh, before certainly it is uh, completed. So they haven't forgotten about you, I suppose. That's the main message that Cork County Council are trying to get across uh, to us. I don't know how best please Mara is going to be about that. And then yesterday... We had a email in to Patricia at c103.ie saying, does anybody know why the water in Clonakilty is like this this morning? And the listener has sent us on a photograph of, firstly, you look at it and you think it looks like mm, maybe a watered down glass of milk. I mean, it certainly is very, very cloudy. You could not see through the glass. It is that uh, cloudy. Listener says, I am reluctant to give this water to my children just in case. Now, it does clear after a minute or two but it has a greasy film left on the top of the water which sounds absolutely disgusting because we've all seen cloudy water before and then once it settles it's fine and it normally tastes okay and it doesn't do you any harm at all but to have a greasy film along the top of it makes me feel uh. So anyway, we've sent that on to Cork County Council and they did come back and uh, to say that they would look into it. But, and I didn't get a chance because we got that yesterday, I didn't get a chance to mention that yesterday. But I'm wondering, do many others in the Clonakilty area, is it just a 
section of the town that has this very cloudy water? Is it all over the town? Is it outside of Clonakilty? Anybody else noticing when you pour a glass of water, turn the tap on to fill a glass of water? Does the glass end of water end up looking very cloudy and certainly not looking like a glass of water when it first comes out of the tap? I, d- I don't know what's going on there, if anybody else. I, and I don't know how widespread the problem is. That's what I'm trying to get across this morning. 1850 at 333-103. Yesterday we were talking about hedge cutting and the fact that we are in the closed season for hedge cutting under the Wildlife Act. Uh, we are not, no one is allowed to cut hedges or burning cutting our burning of hedges from the 1st of March through to the 31st of August and it is to do with wildlife and nesting birds and the commonest nesting birds are found in hedgerows such as wrens, robins and willow warbles. They depend entirely on insects during the summer months and in general untrimmed thorned hedgerows containing species such as blackthorn, whitethorn and holly are favoured by birds as they provide ample food and also serve as a protection against predators. So that's one of the reasons why they nest in hedges is it has them near to a food source. So we were talking about that yesterday and we had that divided view that we often get when we discuss that particular section of the Wildlife Act. We have people who very much are here to protect the birds and the wildlife and see it as very much part of biodiversity and looking at the bigger picture when it comes to the environment says of course it's only right and proper that our hedgerows are protected to protect the birds and the other wildlife and then we've others in the main people who regularly have to travel on some of these roads where the hedges really have become overgrown and people are damaging cars people are getting involved in near misses of accidents we had a truck driver yesterday saying all well and good to care about the environment but you realise the number of wing mirrors I'm losing off the side of my truck because of overgrown hedgerows and it doesn't happen in any other country why is it so bad in this country and those kind of arguments going on and on Pat in Dumamwe was on wondering are there different rules for different areas? He says he was at a Munster final at Ballygurteen and he said they seem to have no problem at all there cutting the hedges back. So are there, if, are there different rules for Ballygurteen than we have here? Than we have in other parts of uh, Cork, say, is a different rule somewhere around the country. And no, the Wildlife Act is the Wildlife Act and it governs the entire country. So I don't know how Ballygurteen and that particular area are cutting the hedges, how they are getting around it. Uh, we know that they can, if they can prove that there, it's a health and safety issue. There are certain uh, exemptions and they can get permission to cut hedges. But we also know, and certainly we were hearing it yesterday from people, there is a lot of illegal hedge cutting going on uh, as well. And we were told from the Irish Wildlife Trust, they appealed to the Republic if they, if they do see illegal hedge cutting incidents to report it to the Gardaí or to the National Parks and Wildlife Service. But I don't know if I've ever heard of anyone being prosecuted for now, that's not to say it hasn't uh, happened, but if it does happen, I don't think it's a very common offence. 1850 333103. Bernie takes your calls. Text WhatsApp 0862 
One of the last insurance firms covering the leisure sector in Ireland has decided to pull out of the market, saying it will no longer quote for new businesses and would not be renewing its Irish businesses as of August 1st. Linda Murray is the director of the Alliance for Insurance Reform and she's also the owner of a play centre, Huckleberries in Navan. And Linda joins me. Good morning to you, Linda. Good morning, Patricia. And, and, and you're welcome. Was this announcement by this UK operator, Leisure Insure, was it expected? Um, I think it's come as a massive shock um, and surprise to lots and lots of businesses around Ireland. Um, I suppose because I'm so involved in insurance for the last year, um, I was um, a little bit more kind of not a surprise um, because I, I personally, in my own situation, Patricia, um, I was refused insurance going forward from January from Leisure Insure. And at that time, they would have said, you know, we're not so keen on the Irish market. But having saying that, the people who have premiums now and maybe are expiring in August or expiring in September, and they don't know what they're going to do, I can only imagine how they're feeling because I, I know exactly how that felt in January for myself. Yeah, and in April, you made a very emotional contribution to the Oireachtas uh, Finance uh, Committee, raising the issues and raising the problems facing you, you personally and the industry. Has the government done anything to help out? Um, it's been extremely slow, to be honest, and it's so frustrating, um, which is why I suppose I'm like a dog with a bone and I'm going to see this through. Um, we have seen uh, the Judiciary Council Bill passed in the last two weeks, which it, it is an excellent piece of reform that we need. It basically means that judges will have to sit down together and come up um, with the awards. Now, um, this could take two and a half years to have an impact. So what we're urging uh, the judiciary to do is to sit down pronto, given light of what's happened in the last week, um, and come up with fair awards for fair claims. Um, we really need that. Um, because we're not going to entice, Patricia, new uh, insurance companies into Ireland. We desperately need them. And we're not going to entice them in, nor will we entice our own Irish underwriters to insure the leisure industry unless we can see these wars coming down. That's what we keep getting told. Now, in our own industry and um, play centres, our numbers actually stack up perfectly. Um, we can show that uh, we don't have that many claims and that we are quite profitable. Um, and lots of the other sectors in the leisure industry are looking at their own numbers now as well. And uh, so we would as a backup of Michael Darcy says this morning in terms of encouraging uh, the Irish underwriters to start looking at leisure because otherwise what are we going to do with our Cade Mila Falsha? You know, we're trying to get yeah, tourists absolutely. in. Uh, yeah, with ancient East, but you know, that, you know, with the wild west, we've, we've, there's all this happening and we're not going to be able to have an adventure centre. Yeah, because Ma- Michael Darcy, who was the Minister of Responsibility for Insurance Reform, he's c- very much throwing it back on the Irish-based insurers, isn't he, and telling them to step in and cover the leisure and tourism market. Don't leave it to a UK for- firm. Uh, absolutely. We have got insurance in Ireland from Irish insurance companies in over 12 years, That's, which is deplorable. Um, it's been left to the UK market um, all that time. We're in business 12 and a half years. We've never had an Irish uh, underwriter um, insurer. And, um, but now that English uh, underwriter, which is AXA XL, uh, the broker's leisure insurer, um, have uh, backed out and there is no one else. Um, there's uh, a Slovenian um, insurer that insures some um, uh, cases, but it's only a few. So um, it's very, very difficult for people to get insurance. As you know, um, we did get a group scheme in our place. Yeah, ex- explain this because you, I mean, and, and this is down to you and kudos must go to you. You, rep- you represented yourself and 60 others, wasn't it? 
That's right, yeah. We basically um, formed a group on WhatsApp last year and this is just simply a support group just to talk to each other about the industry and more specifically about insurance. And um, during one of my radio interviews, um, a broker just approached me and said, look, I think we can do something for you. It was Glennon from Dublin. Um, and that was in January. And it took until, realistically, it took until June to get it sorted. We, we knew we had the OK in April. But what we did is we set up a very robust, stringent organisation called PALI, which is Play Activity and Leisure Ireland. We now have um, nearly 90 businesses in that. Um, and we managed to get insurance for over 60. And, and the numbers are growing continuously. Um, so... It means that we have a good application process for businesses coming in. Um, we know we're very health and safety conscious, patriot content, uh, patriot con- conscious, employee conscious, all that type of thing. And these businesses, we put all our uh, um, our information together and we sent it out to 500 writers in Ireland, 1,500 writers in the UK. All the Irish ones said no immediately. Uh, the ones in the UK considered it and we eventually um, got uh, insurance and were thrilled with it, especially given what's happened in the last week or two. But even though we're really happy, we want to see every other um, adventure and and tourist and um, leisure sector insured. Um, we feel that it should be as easy to get insurance as it is to go out and get your ESB or gas. And at least you have competition, you can look at different people for that. There's, there's now no one uh, to try and get leisure with, leisure insurance with. And um, what are Minister Michael Darcy and Leo Varadkar going to do about this? Because we represent thousands of jobs, absolutely mm-hmm. thousands, directly and indirectly. I mean, I saw this morning down in your area there, Patricia, uh, Folger Adventure Centre talking about there's no premium going forward. What are they going to do? Yeah. What and, are and we they, going to do? They bring a huge amount of Absolutely. tourists Absolutely. and they the employ they employ a, a, a lot, lot of people uh, as yeah. well. Indra. And the yeah. other thing that's astounding is your industry, you pay a lot of money in premiums. We do, we do. I had one guy contact me, he's got two centres um, this week, and um, he said, I just said, you know, are these your questions? How are you getting on and what are you paying? I'm paying 77,000, he said, insurance. I, do, I just don't seem to get surprised anymore what people are paying. Like, you know, I, um, we're, as a leisure industry, we're so, we have to be so safe. You know, we make sure that people don't suffer an injury. And um, what we would urge people to do is if you do suffer an injury in a centre where it's not their fault, where it's not the centre's fault, where you slipped or tripped and it was your own fault, please don't put in a claim against them because now you can see exactly what's happened because of what you've done. We now have no insurance. Mm. But isn't that, that is another problem we have in this country. We've come, become so litigious. We seem to see it as easy money. Yes, and hopefully that will change. Yeah. Um, hopefully the judges are listening to us. Um, like There was a case there a couple of weeks ago where a child in a lift got 45,000 because he was stuck in it for 45 minutes. We discussed dad. it with shock and on this programme. With shock, a thousand euro a minute. I mean, there's no insurer in Europe going to come in and insure us in Ireland if they see things like that. And we, re- and we really need the judiciary to listen to this. Um, now, we also need, with reforms coming in, we need um, Irish insurers to look at the reforms we've got through so far look at the reform that we're trying to get through and to um, reduce our premiums accordingly as well. Um, so we are in the process of reform. We haven't got all we've got through yet. We are working on it. Um, but we need to see that reflected in our premiums as well. And not just in public liability, in motor and everything. You know, mm. if we're working this hard to get reform, it needs to be reciprocated in premiums. Somebody's asking by text, would it be possible for the industry to self-insure? Uh, yes, and it's something that we're probably going to have to look at as well. To self-insure, you need an awful lot of money in the bank. You need yeah. a very strong group. Um, and again, to be done through a UK underwriter, because <laughs> no one in Ireland, again, will look at it, um, which is not what we want. But, um, yeah, self-insure is probably something that we'll have to do, but you would need a lot, because you have to be able to be ready for that 
very unfortunate accident that could happen. So um, for a self-insured program, you're talking in the millions. You need a good, strong group, and you'd, and you'd, want, you'd want in the millions ready uh, for us. So um, it is something that in the leisure sector we're looking at, but it's, it's a long way down the road. But we, we should be, Patricia, we should be able to just go out and get insurance, you know, based on our history, based on our five years uh, claims, based on the industry, based on um, how health and safety conscious we are, based on the reforms that are coming in, we should be able to get it, and we're not at the Absolutely. stage. And my heart breaks for every leisure centre, including myself, um, because although we have this brilliant scheme, if we don't see great reform happen in the next few months, um, what's going to happen to that scheme in a year or two? You know, the, the underwriters that we're with, they're, they're with us because they know that things are going to change and that we're going to see reform. So they need to see it as well. And in the meantime, the reality is with this decision by um, this leisure insurer, businesses will go. They will just not be able to get insurance. Yeah, we'd one close there on Saturday, a lovely pet farm in the middle of the country. Ah. Um, already, um, lovely, lovely lady uh, on the phone in tears last last week to me. I, I, I literally deal with a phone call. Um, I'd say about three times a week now at this stage with people literally in tears going, "What was it to do?" I had another lady down the country as well. She said, "Linda, I set up this um, my lovely pet farm in the last two years. It's family run. It's my husband, myself, my son, my father-in-law, and um, we can't get insurance this year." Now we were looking we were for a pet for farm for a. Oh, yeah. It was a pet farm that closed on Saturday. Yeah, pet farm. Yeah. Sure, if you stick your finger into a donkey, he might do something. He might give you a little text. <sighs> anyway, you, but, you know, it's just... It's, it's your own stupidity if you fix, exactly. stick your finger out of the donkey. everywhere. Look, it's, it's yeah. pet farms. I love bringing my kids to pet farms. Three and children years. love going there. Love pet farms. Um, and that's what we need to keep. We need to be able to keep our children out there playing, outdoors, coming to adventure centres, coming into places, just jumping on bouncy castles. Mm. Like, what are we going to do for convenience and confirmation? This is, it's a very traditional thing I'm, in Ireland that you put one in your garden and they're under serious pressure. Well, when I, when I mentioned that this was going to affect Bouncy Castles, uh, somebody was on already saying, does that mean next year's communion season is in danger of being cancelled? Uh, because we're very much back with the, with the Bouncy Castles. And, and in the they've Huckleberries... All with, they've uh, all been with Leisure. How, how busy? I mean, you're right in the middle of your busiest season. Are you with the school, the school holidays? Yeah, so, yeah exactly. Um, when you're an indoor Centre, you depend on the rain. Yeah. <laughs> so when it rains, it's really busy. Um, no, I have to say, um, Huckleberry Down, what happened to me in my situation, and this is something else that we really need to take into account. When you're planning your business, and this next thing can come into account when we set up 12 years ago, you put down in your business plan what, you know, all your expenses are going to be, and you have your insurance and everything else in that, and you're taking on your four year, nine months, or your uh, lease, or your 10 year lease. Not for a second did we think two or three years ago, will I be able to have a business in a year or two because of insurance? That didn't even come into it. You were getting your lease. What this insurance is doing is stopping us from getting our leases, stopping us from getting loans that have to pay back over five years because you're afraid to take them out in case something happens with your insurance. And in my own situation, um, I was in Huckleberry's Den in Mullaboy Industrial Estate in Navan and my landlord came to me and said, look, are you, how are you getting on with this insurance? Are you going to get it because I need to sell the building and I had always planned on buying it? I couldn't give him an answer and he had to go and sell it. Oh. So because of insurance, my business closed for two and a half. Now, luckily, I was able to find somewhere else. It closed though for two and a half weeks. I, I managed to hang on to my 12 staff. They're all still employed. I paid them over the two weeks of their holidays. Okay. And they're now employed in this new place. And thankfully, the support of the community up here has been incredible Brilliant. and they've all come back in. But I'm lucky that I was able to do that and I was able to get insurance. That's, it's not so lucky for lots of other people who can. But out of interest, when you started 12 years ago, can you remember how much your insurance was year one? I do. Um, so we have two businesses. We have one multi-activity centre and then Huckleberry Town. Huckleberry Town has actually moved into that, that centre now. So in the multi-activity centre, which involves carting and things like that, our insurance was 6000 And this year it pays 16000 
Um, and then in Huckleberry's Den, my insurance six years ago was two and a half thousand. And had I been, had I paid what um, I was expected to pay to a leisure insurer when they rang me in January, they said, look, we're not going to insure you. But if we were going to, if we considered it, it would be around 26,000. Oh, two and a half thousand six years ago. On me. 26,000. Oh, on me. And I, it's a small place. It's a very small place centre. It's not, um, we're not a big business. It's small. You have to be so, ja- um, jamming the kids in every exactly, hour of the no day. Chance. Yeah. In 12 and a half years, we haven't raised our prices. Oh, and shocking. it's not something that you're going to say to people when they come in, sorry, look, we're going to put fiver there because our insurance has gone up to threefold or tenfold yeah. or whatever it is. You know, you don't do that. No. You don't start off with that. All right, Linda, we'll talk again. Thank you Thank for that. You. And thanks for joining us. No um, problem, good morning. To bye bye. Bye bye. Linda Murray there of the, she's one of the directors of the Alliance for Insurance Reform, but also is the owner of that place centre, Huckleby, Huckleberries in uh, Navan. And by the way, just because I can see people saying, what industry? you know when you talk about the leisure industry what kind of businesses are going to be uh, affected by this I mean obviously all of the adventure tourism uh, firms event companies the bouncy castle operators we mentioned they're all affected any of the leisure centres yoga classes will be affected soccer teachers drama classes some play centres and uh, some of the and a large number of uh, leisure companies Um, it's going to affect so so many people if some company doesn't come up and offer to offer them insurance 1850 Bernie taking your calls text or whatsapp 0862 103-103. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Cork Today on C103. Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment. 086-2103-103. The government's inaction over the crumbling weir in Formoy has already led to the cancellation of the country's best known rowing regatta with Formoy Rowing Club forced to call off their annual event for the first time in living memory at the end of June. Now more bad news with the loss of the wheelchair accessible boat. Joining me the wheelie boat's skipper Chris O'Donovan. Good morning to you, Chris. Good morning, Patricia. Good morning. And I have to say, I was absolutely devastated when I saw this email come in from you because I know the hard work you've put in to even get this boat off the ground on day one. Have you now literally no other choice? We have no other choice whatsoever. Only to to decommission the boat at, at present because the water levels are so low, we cannot even get into the slipway to, to open down the front of the boat to give wheelchair access to anybody. Yeah? And that includes special needs groups, the elderly and children. It's just disgraceful. And it, this is all because of the weir? It's all because of the weir and the race wall. It, it, and it crumbled, fell apart, and the water, and, and the dry summer. But the water levels are so low now, it's just unbelievable. Unbelievable. Um, Could you move the wheelie boat anywhere else? We can't. On, the, the wheelie boat is licensed to operate on Blackwater, anywhere on the Blackwater, but unfortunately the Blackwater is devastated. We can't go downstream because we wouldn't have enough enough journey, you know, we wouldn't have enough river to, to call it a boat trip. Okay. Um, and upstream is just the same. It's just the, the, the water levels are devastated because of from where, you know. How popular has the boat been in recent years? Well, the boat has always been popular, and it, it, I mean, just held in high esteem within the community here in Fomoy because, first of all, any families that overseas visitors coming here are, are people that have left in the past and come back, they use it, and, and it is a wonderful, wonderful trip up to Castle Hyde and back. And of course, being wheelchair accessible, it, it's open to everybody, you know. 
Take us back to uh, how the original idea for this boat came about. Well, the original idea for the boat was actually myself. Um, but the, the, the fundraising was, was the unique part of it because we, we did a bungee jump on, on the quay. We I, rem- I remember it. And in fairness to C103, I think it was Cullum and Sarah, I cost my nails, my nails were at me because it just cost us a fortune to bring the... Um, to bring the bungee jumping too for mine, and of yeah. course it was the first time it was was done as well. So therefore we had a lot of money to, to out of it, which we didn't have anywhere in the first place. So uh, anyway, we ran the bungee jumping and the festival, and it was a huge success. You know, it was absolutely fantastic. And uh, then, the and then you got the boat, and I remember just before you got the boat, you discovered the vat bill. Yeah, we had a vat bill then, and then of course that was taken up by another local. So we won't mention any names. Well, of but, course uh, not. <laughs> but yeah, we were glad of that. But um, yeah, the boat was a very costly venture, and the whole the, with, with training and uh, our safety equipment, etc. It ran into a, in the region of thirty two thousand euros. But once you uh, got it on the water, then off it went, and you've been a roaring yeah. success since. Yeah, we we've kept our head down, and you just kept on. Like we don't go around begging. We only have our funding. Actually, is our running costs running at about fourteen hundred euros a year. Okay. Um, our flag there brings in about seven or eight hundred, so therefore we must make up the other the other cost uh, on the river itself. You know, that's charge uh, charging people a small yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's it's a it's a minimum it's it's a small charge. You know, yeah, and and, and people like. and people willingly paid for the because it's a service. Oh, yeah, absolutely, yeah. The people were delighted with it. Absolutely delighted with it. Uh, and, and 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 to be honest with you, my phone is hopping nonstop uh, as in, in this good weather. Of course, to go on a boat trip you. Good weather is ideal, but unfortunately, in our circumstances this year on the Blackwater, good good weather is against us because with the break in the weather and there's no, there's no rainfall, so the, the the levels of the water just disappeared. The regatta that I mentioned that had to be cancelled that was expected to bring about two thousand people to the town. The triathlon, let's not forget that, also had to be cancelled. Now you're the wheelie boat. Yeah, it, you've got to be losing tourists to the town, Chris. Oh, we have. Um, I had a phone call there last weekend. It was a Spanish group. The weekend before that, it was a Welsh group. And, and, and these groups seem to be contact, contacting at the weekend. You know, it's something like coming to the end of the holidays. Uh, we've had people from Peru. We've had people from Australia, New Zealand, Canada. And we also have Americans home at the moment. Well, uh, young John, I can mention his name, young John Sherlock and his mother Mary. They're home at the moment. And they always use the boat. And they're, they're from New York. And they're uh, kind of pokerized what's going on here in this town, you know. And they would I mean, come year after year and part of their holiday would always be a trip on the wheelie boat. Yeah. Oh, they'd always take a river trip, yeah. I, I mean, uh, but, but sadly, when you talk about when you talk about nature, and no, the trip up to Castle Hyde is phenomenal. It's beautiful. And the fauna and nature is incredible. But like you talk about the wildlife crowd and the hedge cutting, etc., uh, we I see now the damage the weir has done to the, the, the ecosystem upstream of my weir. It has wiped out a whole e- ecosystem that has been evolving for 200 years, Patricia. We have the dragonfly and the damselfly, beautiful insects that hop along the weeds along the side of the bank, and all these weeds are gone. So then all these protected species are gone as well. Now, I'm not a nature expert in any way, like, but mm. this has wiped out miles and miles of an ecosystem that has been evolving for 200 years on top of what the damage has done to the weir and the people involved in the town. So the decision it, is... absolutely disgraceful. So the decision I mean, now... can see somebody cutting a hedge, but nobody can see what the weir has done to the ecosystem upstream of my weir. And nobody's coming down to look at it. 
and yet they go up to the dial and they say, oh, we want to protect uh, the salmon and the, and, uh, the lamprey is going over from my way. And yet there's nets down in Capricorn, netting salmon. So, you know, it's just, it's just totally, total garbage that we have to listen to. And I don't know if you read the, opened up the papers today, Shona Reardon has a piece in the Examiner and it looks like the row is still going on as to who's paying and who's going to fund what and where the money is going to come from to everybody accepts the weir has to be replaced, the new fish pass has to be built. And it's just, but nobody wants to come up with the money for it. Well, I was up at the house of the Reactus uh, as a witness to our our own group here over my and I was sitting adjacent to the entrance to the, um, the committee room, you know, where the hearing was held. Yeah. And the dignitaries from the various groups and government agencies arrived down the stairs and they were chatting. And they just had a laugh and joke about who's paying for this and who's paying for that. And they, were ha- they found it very amusing, you know. And I, I, I was quite insulted now. I couldn't say anything. But I'm saying it to you now and to your listeners. They were just laughing. Well, we'd, um, we'd, they could and have, that's, not, that's not nice. They, they, it is not well, nice. they could have been laughing at something else. We can't. I don't think they. I don't think anyone is no, not going to take no. this issue seriously. Oh. But here's a good text in saying, "Hi, Patricia. Just listening to you talking about the weir in Formoy. It makes me so mad. As the powers that be are making decisions and not making decisions, the crumbling weir has been washed down the river. If this weir was in Dublin or in Cork City, it would be fixed in a flash. There are bridges being erected in Cork and in Dublin, and the funding has been found for those bridges. The people with special needs are being impacted yet again as the result of the cancellation of the wheelie boat. It's disgraceful and it is uh, shameful. Uh, Chris, it's an issue I know we will return to. Uh, we, just, I, before, just before I go up to the show, yeah? I just want to say one thing. Okay. Uh, when we put this wheelie boat on the river here in Fomoy, we took down the barrier include, took, that was excluding people from, uh, we, we, with disabilities and wheelchairs on our river, you know. We took down that barrier and Cork County Council and any other agency that's backing them has put this barrier back up by not repairing and rebuilding the way I earn for my. Okay, on that note, we leave it. Chris, thank you for that and thanks thank for you. joining us. You can see a lot of people very disappointed and very annoyed uh, to hear what Chris O'Donovan had to say, skipper of the wheelie boat in Formoy. Uh, unfortunately, no longer available. They've decommissioned the boat because of the crumbling weir. And Sean O'Reardon is writing in the Examiner today that despite claims by Fine Gael councillors that money is available from the government to draw up a design to fix the crumbling weir, a written confirmation has not yet been for forthcoming and that's only to draw up a design to to fix it. There's still no word on who exactly is going to pay. What is it? Three million in a total. 1.34 to repair the weir and 1.7 to build the new fish pass. That rumbles on and while it rumbles on the weir is crumbling before our eyes. Uh, It really is a shame. 1850-333-103 We're going to take a break. Uh, Your thoughts and comments coming in on various issues on the crumbling weir in Formoy. A Mallow man was also listening to the news with Barry at 11 o'clock where he mentioned that they've signed the contract for the new boardwalk which is going to be put in place in Mallow. This gentleman from Mallow says the boardwalk at Mallow Bridge, they should scrap that and the money instead should be put into the weir in Formoy. And that's from somebody who is living in uh, Mallow. Very generous and kind offer. Can't see it happening but it is a kind, kind uh, offer. Uh, And just... 
on the funding for the weir in Formoy, and I don't know, I don't know what the actual full cost of the boardwalk is in Mallow. Would it even come close to? I'll get Bernie to check how much the boardwalk is going to cost. I don't know. Would it come close to covering the cost of the weir in Formoy? At the moment, there is a row kind of going on about the money that's needed to put the design plan in place. Cork County Council have committed to providing 165,000 of its funding. This is to appoint consultants. Now, it's just to appoint the consultants to draw up the detailed refurbishment work. So, Cork County Council are putting up 165,000 and then it is the local government minister, Owen Murphy, who is to put up the matching contribution. That's what the row is currently about they haven't got it, Cork County Council don't have it in writing that the local government minister and their department are going to match the funding, even though Fine Gael senators or councillors say it is all above board, everything's fine, the money is there. But obviously Cork County Council need, need it in writing before they can proceed. So that's holding up the appointment of the consultant to draw up the detailed refurbishment plans. But even after the consultants are appointed and the detailed plans are put in place, we still need further government funding and it's got to be found and there's been, we discussed this only a few weeks ago, various departments and agencies are throwing it around saying it's not our responsibility. Nobody wants to fess up and say, yes, this is where the money is going to come from. Ultimately, it'll all come from the central pot, but all the departments are sort of very protective of their own uh, money. But so we can get the consultants appointed, they can draw up their plans and then it's estimated and it will it will be estimated until the plans are fully drawn up that it's going to cost 1.34 million to repair the weir and then a further 1.7 million to build the new uh, the new fish pass. So just over 3 million has to be found. So we have to wait uh, for that. The board walk is 2.35 million. 1.35 from the council and a million is coming from the EU. So even if, as that Mallow gentleman very kindly offered to say, we won't have a board walk in Mallow, we'll give the money to the weir, weir instead. It's still unfortunately not going to be enough. Patrick in Mallow says a few years ago the EU passed a law banning weirs from stopping the salmon getting up into their spawning grounds. Yeah, I know, I know the EU have been involved in everything when it, when it has come over the years when we've been discussing the crumbling weir. There's been directives from the EU have been mentioned and, and obviously that's the one that you are talking about. Thank you for that. 1850 On other issues coming in. Okay, we've been talking about hedgerows and the cutting of hedgerows that's been uh, yesterday and today people are Talking about that, Texter says, uh, Patricia, our country roads have become extremely dangerous for walkers and runners. So they're not just dangerous, dangerous for motorists when it comes to overgrown hedge rows. Uh, it's particularly bad this year, says this texture, because there was great growth over the winter and into the spring. Because of that, there's been a spread of weeds. Those weeds have been allowed to seed. And when they're when they're not cut, they can multiply by the dozen. That's why you'll see so many of the yellow weeds on the side of the road this year. It's because the hedge rows and the edges of the roads have not been cut back. Now, um, when you say yellow weeds, are they the ones that are particularly good for bees? Because there's always, I'm always trying to find the plus in every negative. Isn't that one of the reasons why they're saying to leave the sides of the roads, let them grow wild without them intruding on traffic or walkers or joggers? 
but we need them for the bee population uh, as well. Thank you for your text to 0862103103. And also, interesting one in from Jack in the city who is listening to us. And he said he's been visiting the very pretty village of Lep for the last four weekends. And now I'm assuming he contacted Bernie. So I'm, I'm assuming and I'll check this with Bernie, he's noticed what he's described as an open air fire at the side of the road outside of Lep. He said people seem to be burning rubbish. And he says there's a very toxic smell from it. Does the council not have people looking out for fires like this? And we know that you're not allowed to burn in your backyard. Um, You're certainly not allowed to burn your rubbish. You can't burn your rubbish even indoors inside in your fireplace because of the fumes that would go up the chimney and out into the atmosphere. I don't quite know what that open air fire that you're talking about. I know West Cork are always particularly good for having bonfires when they welcome a team home. But if you've seen this every weekend for the last four weekends outside of LEP, an open air fire sounds like a a bonfire. But, a, but this isn't a bonfire to welcome home a vill- to welcome a team home to the village or somebody winning something. This is this Jack reckons it's burning rubbish because of the toxic smell. Anybody in Lep, let us know what that's about and what's who's who's involved with that fire and is that is that illegal burning? Because it does sound like something has been burnt illegally if there is a very toxic smell uh, from it. 1850-333-103. Heidi says, Morning Patricia, I see the VAT on health products is raising its head again. I ask, do they not take notice of people people's petitions, the ones that took place on this issue a few months back but it seems that all the government can think about is taxing us at every term. There has to be someone with some common sense in this government. They know that taxing can't keep going. They can't keep taxing us, the people. Our pockets are already empty and uh, we of course are going to be dealing with that topic. We're going to be talking about that in this hour on the programme so stay tuned for that because I know when we started talking about this earlier in the year we had a huge reaction from people we obviously have a lot of our listeners who believe in the benefits of uh, health food products and supplements and vitamins and a lot of people use them a lot of people get relief from them for various ailments a lot of people take them in order to stay healthy and it really will be such a false economy if people are forced to either give up these products stop taking these products for some people they'll end up getting sicker and end back at the doctors and ultimately could cost the state more. I think it could be really be a false economy on behalf of, of the government. Anyway, we'll talk more particularly about this consultation that's taken place and I know there was a public consultation aspect to it and revenue got people in to look at, you know, what the effect of this 23% would would have. So we'll, we'll chat about that in a couple of minutes. But before we do, we'd, we've also been discussing insurance in the last hour and the fact that the leisure industry are going to be so affect by, affected by this decision of this English company to stop offering cover in this country to the leisure industry. They're not tendering for new business. They're a UK operator called Leisure Insure and they are the about the only company giving insurance to the leisure industry covering things like all of the adventure, the outdoor adventure 
camps and, and play areas, all the bouncy castle operators, any kind of indoor leisure centres, yoga classes, soccer teachers, drama classes, some play centres and a very large number of leisure companies affected by it. And we mentioned bouncy castles because that's the one that sprang to mind for so many people. Well, Steve says, Patricia, I have a very large and successful bouncy castle hire business in Mallow and the greater Cork area. And I've been running it for the last 17 years. I've never had one claim against me or my business. We make sure that safety was at the forefront of our business at all times. Literally, thousands upon thousands of children in Cork City and County grew up with our company. We were involved in every birthday, communion and lots of other fun occasions, providing many happy memories for children and for families. The excitement on the children's faces when you turn up was always a joy to see. The odd time that there was an accident, bumps and scrapes, etc., but nothing serious. We paid, on average, €6,000 per year to leisure insure this company uh, all those years and we've never had to use the policy, thankfully. The only problem was that if we ever did have even one claim, we would immediately be put out of business and that would have been an end to an affordable cover in the future. That's a lot of stress to deal with. In the United Kingdom, this is not an issue at all. What is wrong with us here in Ireland? Why do we ruin everything that is fun? Too many reasons, two main reasons, in my opinion, greed and alcohol. That's an interesting one. We are our own worst enemies and it is the minority as always. In most aspects of Irish life, either rule the roost or take everything going and destroy everything for the rest of us. We all know who these people are, I think. Kind regards, uh, Steve. And you're right, it is a small minority who will jump on the bandwagon of suing. And we know we have the people who stage fraud, you know, set up fraudulent accidents and crashes, etc. And we have the people who seem to be repeat accident victims, the people who seem to be in court. And when you look back at their history, they were there a few years ago for something else and a few years ago for something else. It's almost like a business to some people. It's almost like a job to some people suing. And And Steve is right. They are ruining it for the majority, the minority ruling it for the majority. But isn't it crazy that on average €6,000 a year for 17 years, Steve has paid that money over and has never had a claim. It's incredible. It's just incredible. And all he would just in dread of one claim and then he's gone because he'd never be able to get insurance again. It is all so wrong. 1850 Bernie's taking your calls. Text or WhatsApp 0862 103 103. C103 Jobs. Chef or a cook wanted for breakfasts and lunches. It's three days per week from 7 a.m. to 3 p.m. While Dramina Community Play School, they are currently recruiting for a room leader. You need to have FeeTech Level 6. Dan Seaman Motors are looking for a qualified or late phase mechanic. It's for their dealership at Forge Hill in Cork, which is close to Cork Airport. And a busy Bandon artisan bakery and cake shop are looking for a full-time baker or confectioner. Daytime hours only with an 8am start. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. 
Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. Record today on C103. Call Patricia with your comment. 1850-333-103. Now, last December, it was announced that 23% VAT rate will be applied on all food supplements from the 1st of March this year. Following a public outcry, the Revenue Commissioners delayed the VAT increase until November 1st with Minister for Finance Pascal Donoghue promising a public consultation. The consultation has now been published and joining me from the group representing health stores in Ireland, I'm joined by Matt uh, Ronan. Good morning to you, Matt. Morning, Patricia. How are you? I'm very well. Now, the government's tax strategy group has published its report. Are they still advocating 23% VAT? They, they, They have tried, very obviously, Patricia, to rule out the continuation of 0% VAT, which is, as we would see it, the way that it should be. It's the way that it has been done for the previous 40 plus years. And they've tried to edge the discussion towards either one type of VAT or another. And and that's one of the, the things that we really find fault with in this report, is, is that they skewed it from the very beginning uh, into a discussion about which type of VAT rather than whether or not we should be even considering taxing the supplements which people use for to help maintain their health. Did the report look at the positive impact played it, by... It, 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 it certainly did not, Patricia. Uh, the, the report kept itself very clearly to the technicalities of the discussion and left aside completely any discussion of benefit to the country and we'll say we we do know that there was 121 submissions on this issue. I, I know for a fact that one of those submissions would have been from uh, Professor John Nolan in Watford, who would have talked about the very large benefit that there is to Ireland as a country from keeping supplements as affordable as possible for people so that we don't have the uh, progression of conditions like uh, age-related macular degeneration, which is a a cause of blindness, and a very, very expensive treatment uh, protocol is applied to that when it begins to advance. And what he's saying is, if we keep supplements which help this type of condition uh, affordable for people, the benefit to the country runs literally to hundreds of millions Mm. over a few years. And the revenue commissioners themselves and those closest to this issue uh, have said that the fact of the matter is that in real terms, the uh, uh, amount of revenue got that would be generated from this tax would be, to, to use their own word, negligible. So it, 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 it looks like it's a dreadfully poor situation when we have uh, people's health being jeopardised for a very poor uh benefit to the country even if you're to look at it just in in purely financial terms never mind the human cost And Matt has the VAT rate always been 0% on these products? That's that's correct Patricia Um, VAT was introduced in Ireland uh, in 72 it's it's an EU tax uh, it's an EU we'll say system of taxation Um, and uh, in 73 the tax rate on food was dropped to 0 and Mm. Food supplements, being as they are technically food, food uh, yeah. be it of a particular kind, but nonetheless they are uh, they are, we we'll say, uh, regulated under food law. They benefited from that zero rate, and that's the way it has been for the majority of the period of time since seventy three. 
So it, it's been a very long-standing tradition in Ireland that this is how we did it, uh, in the same way that we didn't tax food. That, that's almost unique uh, in the EU. Only Britain uh, don't tax food. Every other country in in, the, in Europe at this stage would have some rate of VAT on ordinary food. And would... I mean, if we introduce 23%, particularly going from zero, you know, I mean, it's nearly yeah. a quarter of the price again will be added yeah. on to products. Would it not drive people to order online and go outside the country to, to try to source cheaper products? We, we really believe that, Patricia. And in, in, in actuality, we've seen a bit of that before already. Back in 2011, VAT was introduced onto sports supplements. And many of us who would have been... Uh, Selling these types of supplements at that stage saw a massive drop off uh, in, 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 in the sales of those in ordinary shops. It all went online and a lot of it we know went offshore as well. So the Irish economy lost out. Uh, it, it, there may have been uh, some measure of a, of a tax take from it, yes, but the loss, I think, to the economy uh, in making those supplements more expensive and, uh, uh, and all of that, um, I think it resulted in a net loss and we're set now to have the very same thing repeated. Not, not in any way learning from, from our mistakes. Apparently and the other, mash that I, the, the other problem that, that I would see about buying online, the fact that we are talking about food supplements here, you don't know the quality, you don't really know what you're getting. No, no, that, that, that's the reality of it. Uh, we, we know that there's all sorts of um, poor... Uh, systems going on with medications uh, online and here we would have exactly the same thing potentially going to happen again and uh, it, 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 it's, it's so obvious and, and also you're going to be losing the jobs in the health stores around the country and I mean we've, we've got over 200 health stores in the country uh, they're, they're a vital part of the framework of every small town and to, to, to jeopardise those small businesses now at this stage, I think, is, is madness altogether. There's several uh, stores have said that they would be looking at closure if they see this coming in because you're, you're going to see a huge um, reduction in the income for the store and that just means job loss. And they are in the main, aren't they, small little independent run businesses? You know, they I mean, they're, they're not big multinationals no, turning no. over millions. They're... No, no. How, how many jobs do you reckon could go, could be affected? Well, look, we have threats for over 40 jobs uh, straight away and, and that's, you know, it's, it's one thing you might remain optimistic and hope that you can muddle through but then we'd say maybe if it starts happening that a year down the road more and more jobs start falling yeah. that won't be making headlines um, but it will be an inevitable fall off and again a loss to the country and, and, a, and a huge human cost because people love, love doing those jobs they're a great benefit to the community that they're in and, uh, and that would be just washed away in, with, with some online uh, purchasing and uh, people trying to we'll say maintain their, 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 their buying power uh, at the, the risk, as you say, of inferior quality supplements and perhaps uh, a, a very poor quality. When we first spoke about this matter earlier this year on the programme, we had a huge outpouring of anger, I have to say, from uh, listeners. I mean, this move will have a really negative effect on many people's health. That's the reality. And, and that's the reality. And, and there appears to be nobody who, whose job it is for to assess that. There has been no impact assessment on this whatsoever. 
neither economically nor in the human cost. And as you're uh, suggesting there, the people who need the supplements the most are very often those who can very little afford to increase their budget. Uh, if we say we have people who may be on a pension at this stage and that yet are dependent on supplements for to improve their quality of life, reduce perhaps the achy knee or hip uh, that they're uh, working with, um, then they can't afford another 23% on top. Uh, they're going to be suffering, in a sense, uh, the lack of that. And, and that goes right across the board. You have supplements for kids, keeping them healthy, keeping their immune system strong, which they're using the likes of probiotics. Uh, these simple products make such a huge difference to people's lives, and yet uh, there's, there's been no assessment of what the impact will be for actual people. Oh, and I can see a number of uh, people saying where we, uh, someone said, I remember signing a petition for this earlier on in the year. We're going to go back and start petitions again. Are there any plans for online petitions? And, and I, I, there, there are. That, that petition continues and you, you'll, you'll find that the petition is present in the shops there again now. Is it? Yeah. As, as we're starting to, we'll say, move towards the budget when this decision will be finalised, um, we'd be saying, yes, uh, if you haven't signed the, the, the petition already, go in sign sign online and uh, you know a huge difference would be to contact your local politician and tell them that you do not want this uh, because it's people power now uh, that we have to mobilize and that would be a huge uh, step forward for people to just find the the, the, the the name and the number of their local politician make a phone call okay that, and, uh, l- l- lobby your local politician so that's what yeah. that's where we're at now uh, yeah. is to get this decision re- is to get this decision reversed because when when they when they put it off on the first of March, it was they, they then said the first of November, didn't they? I mean, they didn't that, say, okay, it, that's it, it's gone. Correct. Yeah. Correct. It was just a stay of execution as yeah, far as the, yeah. the revenue were, were concerned, um, and and it gave the opportunity for the minister to have a good and correct uh, examination of the issue. Fair enough, we've had a a, a a a submissions and a consultation of that nature. Yes, we would also like to be able to sit down with the Department of Finance and point out the pertinent facts to them uh, and as we would see it and we would see that that would be a valuable uh, contribution to the whole consultation process uh, and then as I say people need to talk to their uh, local politician and say what their opinion is on this issue and that counts for a lot and I would stress that. Okay, alright uh, Matt, listen, thank you for that and th- It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Even on a budget, quality is non negotiable. 
That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Thanks for joining us on the programme. Thanks, Patricia. Good morning to you. Bye-bye. That is uh, Matt uh, Ronan. And Matt represents the groups representing health stores in Ireland and I imagine our own Annalise Drussell of the Health Hub on Monday will have something to say about it because in fairness Annalise was one of the first to draw our attention to this back last year when it was first mooted that the VAT was going to go from 0 to 23 I think it was kind of one of those stories that didn't get at the start certainly it didn't seem to get a lot of media attention people didn't seem to I think really understand the impact uh, of it and uh, certainly the more we spoke to Annalise the more we started to realise the impact was going to have on so many of our listeners because it was just it was one of those issues that whenever we spoke about it with Annalise or with other uh, experts the phone lines always lit up with people saying how angry they were about it and how worried they were about it people who regularly get their various supplements you know what either they're taking their supplements because it keeps them fit keeps them healthier or they're taking supplements because it's helping them with a complaint and it's helping them to feel better realising that if you add 23% that's a big jump to go from a VAT rate of zero to suddenly go up by 23%. I mean, if you think about it, for every euro you spend on your food supplement, you'd have to spend another 23 cents. So if you had 100 euro, it was suddenly that bill would come to 123 euro. It's a lot of money. It's a big jump. 1850-333-103. Bernie's taking your calls. Text WhatsApp 0862-103-103. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Record today on C103. Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment. 086 2103 This year's Skibbereen Arts Festival runs from July 26th to August 4th with an incredible lineup of events, including Wonders of the Wake, a unique celebration of one of the oldest rites of humanity, the Irish Wake, and it's celebrated in song, music, bardic poetry and storytelling. Wonders of the Wake is based on best-selling book My Father's Wake by Kevin Toulis, who I'm delighted to say joins me on the programme this morning. Good morning to you, Kevin. Good morning. Thanks uh, very much for having me on. Well, listen, it's it's a real pleasure and thank you for sending on the book. I spent the, the weekend reading the book. I was talking to somebody and I was explaining what I was reading. saying a bit of a morbid read, isn't it? And I said, it isn't actually. It's actually a very enjoyable book. Uh, and your book, which is, is called My Father's Wake, um, How the Irish Teach Us to Live, to Love and to Die. And I have to say, it describes every funeral I've ever been at. And it got me thinking, how is it received by people outside of Ireland who do, particularly in the United Kingdom, who do funerals very different to the way we do it here? Well, it was a long time in getting published. Literally, one English <laughs> agent said to me, why don't you kind of drop dead? No one wants to read a book about, the, about death and about Irish wakes. But I've always believed uh, that the Irish wake uh, has a lot to teach us. And so I kind of endeavoured and persevered through lots and lots of rejection and eventually managed to find a publisher and got it published. And it was 
you know, mentioned by the New York Times, it's been reviewed in America, uh, and uh, all the papers, the London Sunday Times. So it proves sometimes that faith in an idea is worth pursuing with. And and was it after your own father's pa- passing, and then the wake and the funeral? Was that did that put the idea into your head to write about it? Well, uh, my father didn't pass, Patricia. He died. He died. Okay. Uh, so I'm really against passing. And, I know. And you I know. Obviously, missed that bit in, out in the book. But um, what happened really is I went on a long life journey where I uh, reported a lot on the troubles. Um, I went to the Middle East. I did a whole series of TV programs called The Cult of the Suicide Bomber. And I met lots of people who'd been involved in very violent deaths. And one of the reasons why I was doing that was was trying to understand how you live on in the aftermath of death. I had a brother who died relatively young. And I I suppose I went on this long hunt, you might say, uh, grieving, but not for my brother, but for the kind of 19-year-old who was suddenly confronted with this other reality that, you know, we do die. And so um, eventually that journey ended back on the island of my forefathers. Uh, we've been living in Akal Island, the Tulises, for the last 200 years, and there's one small village. And at my own father's wake, where um, my father didn't want to die, but because he'd grown up in the Irish wake tradition and he knew he was dying of uh, pan- pancreatic cancer, um, he was very gracious and courageous about his coming death. And his community also gathered around him as they have done, really, the right of the wake is 6,000 years old, if not 25,000 years old. So they really did ease the passage out of my father. Um, it was both a, a great act of um, communal bonding, communal strength, and uh, an act of grace, really. And uh, that's that's why I wrote the book. Yeah, and, and your description of, you know, the hours leading up to your dad's death, I won't say passing. I'm so used to saying passing and I, and I apologise because I know you don't like the word, but it's just, it's something we say, it just trips off our tongue when we when we talk about death. But anyway, um, when you describe the the, the 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 rosary and the Hail Mary full of grace and, and the way that's done and the way it's said, and it was almost rocking your father into death. Yeah, yeah what happened was it was on the longest day. It was about five o'clock in the morning. And I'd gone for a walk on the beach, and it was like at the end of the death vigil. He was very sort of skeletal, and I was in a coma. And then my nine-year-old nephew, Sean, uh, ran after me and said, you know, come come quick, uh, he's going. And I went into the room, very small room, no bigger than a prison cell. And there were ten people at the bottom of the bed, some of whom actually I didn't know. And um, I sort of thought a bit sort of shocked even though I'd obviously grown up in the kind of Irish wake tradition, but it's still a bit of a shock to see so many people. And I, I was sort of thinking, well, he's my father. I know why I'm here, but why are you all here? And then uh, it was in Ban Kinsha, um, my kind of Aunt Tilda, who struck up the first verse of the rosary. And then the, you know, the, the chorus, mm. uh, Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for sinners now and at the hour of our death. And that chorus, of 10 people in that room, mainly women, um, was literally the the loudest sound I'd ever heard. And what they were obviously doing was cradling this man into death. Uh, You know, it was a a lullaby. Yeah. 
Yeah. Familiar ritual. And I, I'd never thought about it that way on, on, until I, I read I read your piece. And you and you write in the book about the Western death machine. Explain what sure. you mean by that. Well, I went to a, a funeral. Um, you know, there's a lot of humour. <laughs> I don't want your listeners to get the impression that this is some sort of morbid dirge. The show. I mean, there's a lot of a lot of humour in death. And uh, but anyway, I went to the the funeral of a kind of aged uncle, my partner's his uncle in England. Uh, you know, it's, it's a month after he'd actually died. Uh, it's in a crematorium down in outside London. You're given half an hour. And you're lucky if there's 20 people there. And when we were there, they had this uh, kind of celebrant called Eddie. And he's he sort of fantastic because you start rooting for Eddie that at least he remembers the name of the person and he kind of gets the sex of who he's celebrating right. So he's got this sort of clipboard in front of him and he says, um, and here we are gathered. And you think, God, I hope he says it. I hope he says it. You know, I said, David, he says, great. Fantastic. And then he's, we're gathered here together because um, David, uh, he touched our lives in some way. Yeah. <laughs> so it just goes <laughs> through one platitude after another. Yeah. And it's, it's bespoke service. I mean, it's like sort of, there'd be more ceremony in getting your exhaust repaired than a local quick fit. <laughs> um, you know, and that's the total difference, is that the Western Death Machine, obviously most English people have never seen a touch of dead body in their life. And they find that alien when you even say it. Oh, they're shocked and <laughs> horrified. And, and weirdly, that's what I think zombie movies are all about. Is there a replacement for physical contact with the dead? The whole horror movie thing becomes a kind of substitute. And of course, it is it's a constant diminishment of death. The only trouble is death doesn't diminish us in the sense in which we're still all going to die. Mm. So we must find a way to cope with death. And the best way of doing that, having travelled around the world to various famines, wars and plagues, in my experience, the best way of recognising our common mortal kinship is through something like the Irish Week. It, it prepares us for our own death. A little bit of inoculation, but here's something that you might not have heard. Was hoigum diopan tapan hectoros ipoiamoida. Those are the last two lines in ancient Greek of the Iliad, written by Homer in BC 850. And it says, Thus held they wake and funeral for Hector, tamer of horses. And in the previous verses, Homer talks about the minstrels of the dirge, feasting, games. Uh, he, he gives a description in the Iliad, which is identical to what you'd find in an Irish wake wow. today. Wow. So kind of ancient rite that even goes beyond the fall of the gates of Troy to back to the Aztecs, which is at least 25,000 years, probably as long as we have ever been walking on the plain as a species. We've held something like a wake to commemorate our dead and also to bind up the wound of mortality. And also what I think is great about the Irish wake and how we do funerals is the support of the community and you'll certainly have found this on Ackle and you'll find it in rural areas the support of the community I mean they carry both the deceased and the bereaved over that period of time Sure I mean one of the the, the things that talk about in the book is um, the carrying of the coffin you 
you know, in ACL, there are no professional grave diggers. Mm-hmm. It's still done within the community, regardless of honour. And there obviously there's no pallbearers either. And so it's an honour to carry that coffin um, up the mountain to the grave. But also, if you think of it, it is like a kind of transcendental nihil in that you carry this coffin of your dead sister or your dead brother in the hope and expectation that when your time comes... Someone will carry you? Yeah, even Mm. those yet unborn um, Mm. will carry you. So it's this constant binding between the generations and between the community that's so much more human and sympathetic and empathetic than, you know, a, a menu list from the kind of English undertaker and the, you know, uh, prices of various crematorium that you can go to. And, and I love the way here in Ireland when somebody dies and the food starts arriving. When somebody dies in the neighbourhood, you might barely know the people, but if you know somebody's died in number eight, you're up there with the tray of ham sandwiches or the cake and the food is handed in. And the amount of food that will go into the home of someone who's passed away, is it's incredible. No, it gets eaten, but it's it's. I think that's a lovely thing that we do so that the bereaved don't have to worry about food. Sure. Well, the thing I also love about Wakes, though, is the hypocrisy and the lion. <laughs> <laughs> We're good at that. <laughs> so that, that fantastic kind of Irish specialised vocabulary for... Um, He's looking grand. <laughs> I wouldn't say your mum is a day over 50. <laughs> Come back into himself again, isn't he? And all that. So, uh, I mean, we have that in the show. We have a, a, a spoken word piece called Herself Alone, where um, we talk about that. Uh, just, you know, the, the things that people say, the very natural things that people say in uh, circumstances like awake, you know? Yeah. Like... Um, you know, a dash of cherry berry, her favourite shade, red on lips, eyes closed, mouth shut, pale but not asleep. A nice white, lovely silk blouse, fresh from the pack. A bit of a waste, morning swing, he said. You see? All that sort of stuff of the the, the human quality yeah. of the wake. Um, that's that, again, that's part of that story. Uh, yeah, and preserve. it's it's lost in other countries. I remember my own mother's uh, awake, uh, somebody saying, did she die of anything serious? And my <laughs> sister, well, she died. Does it really matter? You know, it was just, and the woman genuinely meant she did. And, and then the other one was, somebody, she died in her health. Uh, well, yeah, okay, she died. Um, now, d- describe the show, um, Wonders of the Wake, and, and what people can expect. Well, what we're doing is we're bringing back the ancient art forms of the wake. So we've got keening, you know, minstrels of the dirge. You might not have heard it before, but I can assure you, it is the oldest music of womankind, sung at the grace of Troy and beyond. We're bringing in some bardic poetry, uh, some laughter, some joy, some songs of of joy and songs of sorrow. It'll be like the best wake that you could ever go to. But 90 minutes right on stage right in front of you <laughs> and there's no dead body you'll really enjoy it unfortunately <laughs> but I will be making a call for volunteers <laughs> listen in, enjoy uh, Kevin and it was a real pleasure to talk to you and the book is terrific um, it, available it, it's still available because it's, it's out a couple of years isn't it? it it's on Amazon and it's in every book, reputable bookstore okay. on the earth yep. okay 
Well worth the read. Listen, Kevin, thanks, thanks for that and thanks for joining us. Okay, thanks. Uh, thanks bye bye. And, and, and I should have mentioned that uh, the show is on in the Skibbereen Arts Festival next uh, Sunday night in Skibbereen. And that was uh, Kevin Toulis, and his book is called My Father's Wake How the Irish Teach Us to Live, Love, and Die. Uh, and by the way, the best of luck to that show, which is on in Skibbereen as part of the Arts Festival next uh, Sunday night. It sounds like it's a morbid topic. It's not. And even the book, I hope that the book didn't come across as a very morbid uh, topic, but it's just one of those books if you've ever had uh, if anyone has ever passed I've said passed away I use that phrase I know Kevin doesn't like it to be used but if you've ever had a loved one die and uh, you've been involved in organising the wake and the funeral and all of that you'll very much identify with what was in the book we do it's one of the few things I think we do extremely well in this country we do look after uh, bereaved people and the deceased in those particularly those early days and the weeks after a funeral. We may all go back to our own lives then and forget about the bereaved person but I think to get them over that period of time we do that very well and long may that continue. May we never lose our humanity when it comes to uh, death. 1850 Bernie's taking your calls. Now some of your comments coming in on topics that we've been discussing today on the programme. An email in from Martin to Patricia at c103.ie saying dear Patricia well done to that man. Uh, people die this is uh, Kevin Toulouse who spoke about his uh, book uh, that has subsequently been uh, formed, uh, made into, I, don't know, you can't, I can't call it a musical, an event, I suppose you'll call it, that's going to be happening at the Skibbereen Arts uh, Festival. Well done uh, to that gentleman. People die, uh, Martin writes. There is a paranoia about saying death and dying in this country. Instead, people say passed over. They're lost. They're gone, etc. Death is the only taboo subject left. Death is part of life. Passing over is an avoidance term, says Martin in a Carrigaline. Kevin Toulis will be delighted to hear you say that because that's exactly the points that he's making uh, in his in his own book. Actually, there was there was so much in the book. I mean, I only touched on it. He he writes in the book as well about how the local radio station it's in Ackle is where his dad died. That that how the local radio station there uh, does um, a twice. A, a, twice daily roll call of the recently departed i.e. they do death notices and um, I had planned to say to him we're actually one of the other radio stations that do the death notices uh, as well now to somebody in the United Kingdom they would find that quite bizarre that we would even run such a service and Pat says Hi Patricia I was at a wake one evening and there were two old bucks in front of me I heard one say God isn't he looking good there now and then there was a pause and the other said there must be something wrong with him he's dead says bad. and that's the one thing that's why I don't I, I, and I know Kevin didn't want the show that he's going to be doing as part of the Arts Festival to come across as more but there's very happy moments and light there will be happy and light moments in it as well because at every funeral you've ever been to there will always be humour I think that is another thing we the Irish are good at I don't think I've ever met anyone who wasn't who didn't have a family member who died who didn't say at the funeral either at the removal or the wake or afterwards that something stupid happened and everybody was falling around the place uh, laughing. I think we, even in the midst of all of our grief, you'll manage to find something and 
to lighten the moment and to, to cause everybody to laugh. Uh, thank you for your calls and comments on that. 1850 We were talking about the Weir in Formoy and the repairs that are needed to the Weir in Formoy. And now that we're hearing the crumbling Weir, latest casualty now is the wheelie boat has been decommissioned. This was the boat that has been used for people in wheelchairs to allow them to go uh, angling. But it's also taking many tourists and many children up and down the River Blackwater on trips, trip, you know, boat trips down the river and this time of the year we should be working flat out and instead not enough water and uh, it is the latest casualty then we've already had the rowing club the regatta and we already had the triathlon all forced to be cancelled uh, this year. Margaret says what will it cost for the professionals to do the assessment of the weir? I bet as much as the work itself. The fishermen could nearly do that themselves without all the extra costs but it's bureaucracy of course says Margaret and somebody else says uh, Patricia how much exactly is it going to cost for these for this detailed report on the refurbishment? It, well it looks like it is going to be let me do my maths a hundred Hundred and no, that's a hundred and three hundred, three hundred and thirty thousand euro, because Cork County Council are providing one hundred and sixty-five thousand of its own funding to appoint the consultants, but the other half is coming from the local government minister Owen Murphy. That's what the delay they're waiting for the matching contribution from the local government from Owen Murphy's department. So one hundred and six, yeah, so three hundred and thirty thousand euro is how much it's going to be that's what's going to be paid to consultants who will draw up the detailed refurbishment work and then even after the consultants have been appointed and even after they've drawn up their detailed refurbishment plan yet we still need another 3 million in order to do the work that's needed to repair the weir and to build the new fish, fish pass. It's a lot of money. But the consultancy, God, that is a lot of money, isn't it? I think, when, you know, when you see when you say it like that, 330,000 to draw up the plan. According to Margaret, ask any of the local fishermen or the people who are on the river a lot. I talked to, and we've spoken with a lot of them on this programme, God knows, over the years. They're, they're experts. They'd nearly be able to tell you themselves what needs to be done. While Tom and Rathgormack thinks the whole whole job be the consultants and the three odd million euro that's needed is a waste of money. Tom says that money should be spent on roads rather than wasting money on the weir in Formoy. I don't know Tom if people in Formoy will be agreeing with you on that because just think with the cancellations we've already had the with the rowing club cancelling the regatta, the triathlon club having to cancel the triathlon. Just think of the number of tourists that have been lost just on those events alone this summer to the town of uh, Formoy. And then for anglers, I mean I'm assuming that there's very few anglers heading to the Blackwater because of the water level is so low and that is now I know it's been a dry summer as well but it's to do, it is in the main to do with the fact of the crumbling weir. So there is a knock-on effect that the whole town loses out and economically the whole town loses out. And just to the, some breaking news for you, it's just come up on my screen, that Boris Johnson has been voted in as the new Prime Minister in Britain. 
God help us all. OK, that's, that's Boris Johnson, the new uh, Prime Minister. Your thoughts welcomed on that. How do you think Boris Johnson is going to do as Prime Minister? What effect will it have on Brexit? What effect will it have on us here in Ireland? What effect will it have on the United Kingdom? Your thoughts welcomed, please, on the latest breaking news. Boris Johnson the new British PM. We were talking about insurance. Patricia, the reasons that the insurance companies don't want to insure those play groups and the indoor and outdoor play areas and fairs is because of claims. We all know when kiddies play, they'll have falls, cuts and they'll graze their knees. I can't remember the times I fell off my bicycle and also my brother when I was teaching him how to cycle. He was more off the bike than uh, on it until he eventually got the hang of it. But now some people just get upset if their child gets hurt and they forget it's all part of growing up. And I 100% agree with you on that because there's been more claims that I've read about in the paper of somebody having a fall at school or in a play park or wherever or they trip on a pavement and they broke their arm or they broke their leg and I remember growing up when we were children there was always somebody in the school in plaster of Paris somebody broke something and it was the greatest excitement under the sun if somebody arrived in with a broken arm plaster of Paris and we all were asking what had happened and gave us all the gory details and was it painful and what did the plaster of Paris feel like and then of course out came the pens and the markers and we all signed the plaster of Paris and there was much excitement. Nobody ever sued. Nobody ever sued. They dusted themselves down and that was it. But we live in a very, very different uh, age. 1850 333 103. Trocra have emailed Patricia at c103.ie to say just want to update you on the latest Trocra initiative in Cork City area in case it may be of interest to your listeners. In the coming weeks, a Trocra team in blue shirts and jackets may call to homes in Cork City, inviting monthly donations. These funds allow Trocra to respond to the needs of people in crisis around the world. So just to let you know, and I think Trocra are right to give us advanced warning on that because... We've had so many scam callers calling to people and people claiming to be from this charity and that charity. And of course, they're not. And we'll inevitably get calls in. I had somebody calling, are they genuine or not? So I think well done to Troker for putting it out there first. So it doesn't, it comes as no surprise. But they're clearly identified as being part of the Troker team in blue shirts and jackets. And as always, you look for ID and all of that. And you only donate or you only sign up. If you want to sign up, you're free, willing and able to sign up. You have the funds to sign up. Please don't ever feel intimidated into giving money, even to very genuine charities. If you have it, give, give, give. And we're very good at doing that. But I always hate when I hear, and I'm not saying this is going to happen in this particular case, but I always hate when I hear from people, particularly older people, who felt they were pressurised into giving the money or they were pressurised into signing up so please do not let that happen to you you only give to charity if you're able to and certainly if you can afford uh, to do it 1850 phone lines have been a bit busy by the way if you're having problems uh, getting through and I know it can be frustrating for people when they are ringing and the lines are ringing up but Bernie is coping very well but coping on her own uh, so don't forget you can always text us uh, our WhatsApp is 0862 103 103 and if you particularly want to talk to us you can text 
text or WhatsApp us and request a callback and you will get a callback. And you can always email Patricia at c103.ie. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council. Supporting businesses, supporting communities, serving Cork. Visit corkcoco.ie. The Irish Blood Transfusion Service, they've got a donor clinic in the Middleton Park Hotel. 3 to 5 this afternoon and 7 to 9 tonight. Charleville Fire Brigade are holding a charity car wash. Now it's happening next Saturday between 12 and 4pm in the town park. All proceeds in aid of the Charleville Suicide Awareness but they're appealing for volunteers to help out on the day. So if anybody wants to help the Charleville Fire Brigade raise money for the local suicide awareness group, uh, please pop along between 12 and 4 and uh, give up an hour or two of your time. Fremont Summer Cultus Session will be held in the Fremont Heritage Centre every Wednesday night for the month of July and August. So it's going on tomorrow night at half past uh, eight. Well worth a visit. Music, song, dance and storytelling. And this week, this week's, tomorrow night's special guests are Kiltori Clarock. The Irish Wheelchair Association are hosting an open day in the Gilbert Centre on Fair Street in Mallow. That's happening tomorrow between 12 and 3pm. While Ballinhasset Community Development Association, they've got a fundraising Kaylee, the Marion Hall this Friday. Dancing is from 9.45pm and dancing is to Michael Sexton and teas will be served. Court today on C103. Call Patricia with your comment. 1850-333-103. Now, thankfully, we heard yesterday that Dora the Explorer, the wandering wallaby, was home safe and sound after being found near Kilworth Village in North Cork. Andrew Boyle runs the Araglan Animal Centre from where Dora escaped last week. And uh, Andrew joins me on the programme. Good afternoon to you, Andrew. Hi, Patricia. How are you? I'm very well. Firstly, uh, how is Dora? Oh, she's absolutely fine. She's um, back in with her... um, with her... uh, and she's absolutely fine. Uh, not a scratch on her. Not she, that was my main concern, that she might get injured yeah. while she was out, but she's absolutely fine. Because she wouldn't be really great about traffic now, would she, and oh, have a bit of road they'd savvy? Have no, they'd have no road sense whatsoever. No, no. They'd get stunned by um, lights in the night and they'd be main, do main, most of their travelling in the evening or at night or early morning, so traffic would be a big thing all right and she seemed to stick to the main road as well which is unusual <laughs> when when did you realize dora was missing um well we were on holidays and when we got back from holidays the girl that was looking after the place when we were gone let us know that she was that she had got out but she thought that she'd gone back in because she didn't see her around but um she didn't go back in at all and has she escaped before no, she hasn't. What I think must have happened, I found a little hole in the fence and um, we've three dogs here, just house dogs, and they're well used to the animals and all that. But all animals and that will act differently when you're away or when there's strangers Yeah, absolutely, around. yeah. And I'm thinking that one of the dogs might have been, because they wouldn't have been walked as much, like we'd walk them every day and that go up the fields and that with them. But they mightn't have been walked as much while we were gone and stuff. So they might have been just out of character and made a hole in the fence. And then Dora spotted it and, yeah. and off she went. She said, wallabies are very inquisitive. So are they, they thought they'd say, oh, I wonder what's true here. And that's, uh, And would she have survived on her own? Oh, she would have. Um, 
as long as she didn't get injured. Injury and stress would be the main things, like if someone was to try and chase her and catch her, it would stress her out a huge amount. Um, but even if they get a cut on their leg or something from being chased, if they're jumping over a fence or that, um, that can end up being fatal with uh. wallabies. But as far as um, eating and that, they eat vegetation, okay. leaves, all that, so they've plenty to eat. Oh yeah, so she yeah she she wouldn't have been hungry. Uh, no. And how how was she? How long was she missing? And how was she eventually tracked down? And and talk to me about how you managed to catch her. She was gone for a week. So oh. she went. She got out last Monday evening, um, and got her back yesterday morning. So okay. she's gone for a whole week. She was spotted a couple of times, um, up by Gorse Lodge, which is between the Mountain Barrack and uh, Kilworth Village. Then she was spotted in Kilworth Village. Um, I was on to the guards in Formoy. They said she was seen at half seven on Saturday morning. But she obviously stayed in the in Kilworth village. I didn't hear anything on Sunday. There was no sightings at all. So um, then there was a guy, Owen Hislop, rang me yesterday morning at six o'clock saying he'd seen her on the road in Kilworth village, um, just on the, on the way out towards Mountain Barrack, but still in the village. Okay. So... And fair play to Owen, he stayed with her till we got there. We're about a ten minute drive from Kilworth. And he stayed with her and she hopped into one of the gardens, which was perfect because I was able to pull up across the driveway and block the entrance. And um she was grand and calm. We sort of crawled around and that and the best way of catching them is by the tail. They have a very strong tail. So I was sort of Looking, we were wandering around. There was a car in the driveway. She'd sort of gone around one way. I'd gone around the other way. And my wife managed to catch her. Right. So we just um, put her... Well, I put um, a feed bag, you know, a paper feed bag. No, not a classic one. Just over her head to darken it to keep her calm. Mm -hmm. And um, sat into the passenger seat and brought her home. Mm. Once once she couldn't see, she was grand and calm. And then just let her out with the others. And they, do they even notice she was missing? Not at all, no. no. They wouldn't have. They, they'd, um, they'd interact with each other every now and again, but they wouldn't have, say, the same empathy dogs would have for each other. Oh, OK. And she looked, wallabies, they, she looks like a small kangaroo, isn't that's it? That's exactly yeah. it. They are, that's exactly what they are, a small yeah. kangaroo. So um, they're marsupials, they're the same, um, the, the, the same family as the kangaroo. And where did you, did Dora originally come from and your your other wallabies? Um, Dora was born here. Um, and the original, um, ca- um, the original ones came from pet farms. There was two came from pet farms that had shut down um, after the collapse of the Celtic Tiger. Yeah. And then there was another one came from pet farm. Her partner had died, so they were worried that she'd pine away. Um so she came here to be with other wallabies and then they've bred here I've got um, seven of them here all together And you are a, you're an animal centre you're not a zoo no, you're not a not petting a farm to be, like we have open days as um, fundraisers okay. every every year but you're only allowed open for seven days um, without um, a zoo licence so if we wanted to open full time We'd have to apply for, or we'd, uh, yeah, we'd have to apply for a zoo license, and and that's to open as a petting farm. 
Yeah, yeah. But if you've exotics, if you've any exotic animals, you'd have to have a zoo license. Oh, would you? Okay. Um, like and a petting farm, if you had sort of rare breeds of cattle or sheep or that, that's that's fine. Okay. But um, if you've um, exotic animals, you need a zoo license. Actually, wild animals. So. And you anything. and you also would get caught with something we discussed earlier in public liability insurance would cost you a fortune. Oh, I, c- I can't even imagine what it would cost. Um, I know there's there's. Other other people that I'd know that would have um, pet farms. I think there's about seventy five um, pet farms that have had to apply for zoo licenses because they've exotics uh, in the country. But I think most of those get insured in the UK. Yeah. Nowhere in Ireland will insure. Yeah, them. but now the the last of those insurance companies is pulled out of Ireland and is not going to insure from from the end of August. Yeah, so we're going. That's, that's happened before a few times. Yeah. Sometimes they do that and then they come back again. So yeah, because if they if way, they don't, I, we'll lose all of our pet farms, and you could become a very busy man. Yeah, well, the funding would the funding would be my main problem with that. Talk, yeah, talk. For, okay, t- t- tell me about your animal sanctuary. When did it start, and how many animals, and what kind of animals do you have? We started up about, I suppose, about ten. 10 to 12 years ago we sort of started up I'd say the first of the wallabies came probably about 12 years ago Um, we sort of started kind of very very much organically and grew bit by bit and as we got um, animals sort of people got in contact with saying would you take this Um, we'll only take something if we can house it um and um, in, in the proper conditions and everything. But um, we don't take cats and dogs because there are places, um, there are a good few places to take cats or dogs. So we sort of concentrated then on the exotics. Now, when they say exotics, we don't take reptiles because we're not set up. But we'll always try and find homes. We'd have lots of contacts with other places. So we try and find homes if someone does get in contact with us. So the range of animals we have here are the most exotic things would be the ringtail lemurs. We have six ringtail lemurs They're here. They're beautiful animals. And gorgeous, yeah. And two of them were born here and it's great. We'd one born this year and one last year and two separate sort of couples then that came from um they were in they were kept as pets. And we have raccoons, which had been kept as pets as well, which are completely unsuitable as pets, but they're a lovely animal as well. We've got Kwati Mundis, which are a relation to the raccoon, and they're from South America. They've got a long nose like an anteater and a stripy tail. Um, what else do we have? We've got raccoon dogs, which are actually a type of fox from um, Asia. And how do you fund it, Andrew? Um, we funded ourselves. I've actually, at the moment, I've taken a year out from work, um, career break, to sort of try and improve things around the place. Because, um, and other than that, it's mostly self-funded. But we do have fundraisers as well. Now we haven't had any this year, um, because we we're trying to organise things a little bit differently. Um, have you a large property? We've twenty acres. Oh, okay. And we only use a fraction of that, really, of the 20 acres. We only use a small part of it. Um, but um, in the future, we would like to expand, like a lot of the housing. The, like The housing of animals is the most expensive um, part of the thing because, well, I usually build everything myself. But it's um, 
now at this stage, after 10 years, you need to start um, doing things again. I know, I know. Refurbishing and that's like, you know, if you've a kitchen for 10 years, you probably feel like refurbishing it. So well, the, exactly the, 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 the one thing that Dora has done is put the spotlight on you, Andrew, and, and hopefully there'll be a spin-off and a benefit from that. Yeah, you know? so, well, it's, it's certainly been loads of, have, it's got loads of attention. Right. Um, the public's been very interested. I've got hundreds and hundreds of messages. We have a Facebook page and the amount of likes has gone up hugely. Aragon Animal Sanctuary. Okay, Sanctuary. Yeah. Uh, okay, and let us know if you have an open day or anything coming up. We'd be only too glad to talk to you again and, and certainly plug it for you. That's great. That's, okay, I but, really appreciate but that. Thanks. Listen, we appreciate you taking time out to talk to us this morning. Not, not at all. Uh, take care. Bye bye. Bye bye. Andrew Boyle there, the Aragon Animal Sanctuary. And uh, the good news is, Dora the Explorer, the Wallaby is back home. I mentioned just before I went into that piece that Boris, the breaking news was that Boris Johnson had been um, elected as Prime Minister. Uh, the United Kingdom. So your comments in on this. Anna says, hi Patricia, I'm just out on an early lunch break today and I tuned in only to hear you say Boris Johnson is the next Prime Minister. I just lost my appetite. Yes indeed, God help us, says Anna. John and Clonic Guilty says, Patricia, Boris Johnson, new Prime Minister of Britain. Well, he was one of the guys who promoted Brexit. Let's see him try and bluff the EU like he bluffed the English people to vote to leave the EU. Looking forward, actually, to listening to him on how he will leave the EU in October. That comes in from John in Clonakilty. Dennis in Cork. Hi, Patricia. God help us, Boris Johnson. Boris Johnson is a clown, an absolute dope. This is Dennis's opinion. Uh, Jeremy Hunt should have been chosen. He is a real clever politician, unlike the other clown. And Tim says, Boris has ability. He mastered French reasonably quickly when he went to Paris, but he does not accept any opinions other than his own. The EU must punish the UK if they break the withdrawal agreement. Brexit will be a disaster for us and for the United Kingdom. And the nationalists in the north will be in a Palestine situation. We should switch to the continental way of driving and bypass UK assembled cars, says uh, Tim. 1850-333-103. Some of your thoughts and no doubt we're going to hear a lot more this afternoon in the days and weeks, a month ahead to the news that Boris Johnson has been elected as the newest leader of the Tory party and therefore the new Prime Minister of the United Kingdom. Record today on C103. Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment. 086 103 103. And Joe Heflin joins us. Good afternoon to you, Joe. Good afternoon, Patricia. And um, we're picking up where we left off last week. Mm. We were talking last week about a study that showed young women in Ireland to the highest levels of depression in Europe, which mm. was a worrying, worrying, or is a worrying uh, trend. So today we are going to continue uh, on from that and the signs of depression. How, how would somebody know if a young person is feeling depressed and it's not just part of growing up and low mood? You know, the way you can have young people who are just moody teenagers. Yeah. How would you know the difference? Okay, well, and we'll include like the older people in this as well um, with the list. Well, the first thing anyway would be hearing that Boris Johnson just got elected. Yeah, and I can see the amount of reaction coming in and just looking on Twitter as well. There's a lot of depressed people, but that's very different to Uh, the type of depression. Yeah, yeah, that's being a little bit um, on the light side. But right, 
signs of depression? Well, the first thing, of course, naturally is the low mood. Um, as we all call it, feeling down, feeling sad, maybe feeling anxious, worried. Another one, you know, a person listening now might be thinking, how many of these boxes would I be would I be ticking? So the low mood, low energy, um, tired, fatigued all the time. Every little job, every little task is kind of feels too much. Just can't do that. Feel I feel I can't do it. Um, changes to the sleep pattern. Now usually that's um, awaking very early and unable to get back to sleep. Um, finding that one's concentration or focus are, are just not there. Um, you know, uh, sort of reading page one of a book and when you get to page two, you can't really remember what was on page one and you feel like going back and then you close the book and give up on it. Or, um, or other tasks, like just the, the, the concentration isn't there. Um, there can be feelings of guilt, um, like, why is this happening to me? Maybe there's a reason for this happening to me and thinking back on <clears throat> things that, um, you know, whatever um, uh, things we didn't do, things we did, um, things we said, things we didn't say. Just having, having regrets about stuff that you can't change. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and kind of feeling then that, I, uh, that I'm being punished, that this is... This is my comeuppance, like, for things that I did wrong, which is not right, not correct. Uh, neglecting hobbies and interests. Um, uh, many a person I've spoken to would say that they were very into reading, but that they've given it up for a combination of no um, no real interest and, of course, the previous one, the concentration and the focus. Um, uh, interests that were there. Um, maybe even like the, um, you know, the news. Um, n- not that it would lift anyone's spirits, but I mean, you know, uh, current affairs, um, the Brexit thing now and all that, and mm. the, the Boris thing. Do you know, kind of saying, I just couldn't care less and not bothering with it. That would, you know. Um, uh, more importantly, um, losing interest in others, even loved ones kind of like uh, wrapped up in a little black world of uh, of negative thoughts and bad feelings. There can also be, um, uh, I suppose what we'd call physical uh, aspects to it, um, uh, headaches, um, tummy upsets, um, uh, aches and pains that are, you know, recurring and uh, no great reason or no great... Um, explanation for where they're coming from and then of course uh, thinking about death um, maybe suicidal thoughts so that if a person was experiencing some couple or few of those um, you know it would be definitely a good idea to go and see the GP because um, one of the most important things of all is um, to talk about this not to kind of um, uh, clam up about it and uh, not not say how one is feeling. Um, that's not the way forward. There, there isn't. 
a person can't be helped unless they say uh, what they feel is wrong, you know. Yeah. yeah. And, and the causes, um, Joe, I mean, are, is that too simple a question to say? Can you ever work out what actually causes it? Well, that, that's, that, that, that's a very good point because there usually isn't any one single cause of depression. Um, and sometimes there can be no obvious reason yeah. for being depressed. I mean, all the externals... Um, uh, uh, a, a, a person looking in from the outside would say, sure, that person has nothing whatsoever to be depressed about. But, I mean, our bodies, our minds, our brains are very delicate and um, there can be <clears throat> um, things that happen that have nothing really to do. Now, the usual re- reasons for depression like, would be more obvious. I mean, there would be you know, um, um, uh, call it a setback in life, a, a, a bereavement, <clears throat> uh, relationship or financial difficulties, problems at work, um, um, a bad uh, illness. Um, there can be postnatal depression following the birth of a baby. Um, and, you know, loss of any sort. Um, yeah, there can be an actual thing you can, can, you can an, pinpoint an obvious, and um, say that's and why. And we call that a reactive depression. Yeah. Like it's a reaction to a life event. But then you have the other kind of depression, which, um, you know, people used to talk a lot about um, <clears throat> chemical imbalance. And that uh, I think a lot of these ideas um, are being challenged. But, you know, I, I don't think there's any, I think an awful lot of it can't be explained. Um, yeah, and if it is, as you say, like a chemical uh, imbalance, yeah. you would you would see and hear of families where depression runs in families, yeah. and you would think there must be some kind of a genetic link. Absolutely, um, that is, I think, pretty generally um, accepted that um, the, 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 that there can be a, a genetic. Um, uh, we'll call it an inherited tendency towards depression. Now, that's uh, not to say that if somebody in your family, your parents or grandparents suffer from depression, that you're going to suffer from depression. Absolutely. Absolutely. But you know when someone has a, a heart condition? Yeah. Um, uh, the, the, the modern thinking now would be like for other family members... To be checked. To, to get it checked out. Yeah. Yeah. So that, like, there's a possibility. Now... Just as um, uh, just as all other people in the family aren't going to be told, oh yes, you have a, a, um, a heart uh, um, a condition that uh, predisposes you to um, heart attack or whatever. Um, I mean, that's not going to happen with everyone, and also um, it's the same with depression. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's, um, you, you know, it wouldn't be kind of. Um, there isn't much I can do because I'm going to get it anyway. That wouldn't be the way at all. Um, but the big thing, um, the big thing would be to talk about it. Now, you know, that doesn't mean that one is going to go out to the town square and start telling people passing about it. it what it means is someone that you trust, a loved one in the family, uh, preferably then the GP, first, first port of call, um, and... Uh, for example, I do an inventory um, with anyone who calls and mentions the word depression. And we, you know, it sounds like a measuring tape, but it's it's um, it's an inventory uh, that can decipher uh, whether 
a person has, um, we'll say, a no depression, or mild, or moderate, or severe. And uh, these tests, like the 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 really really good ones, um, uh, you know, they're they're reliable. Um, I, I'll put it this way: if a person was uh, trying to prove depression uh, for some reason or other in a court of law, um, uh, the inventory that I'm referring to would be acceptable in a court of law. Like, um, and it's yeah. I suppose in in one way it's kind of ticking boxes, um, uh, but uh, but it, it 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 will give the person a reassurance that yeah this is what we're dealing with. The the other side of the coin of depression like would be anxiety, and the same inventory covers well it's a different one, but it's about anxiety. And Again. you can have mild, moderate, or severe depression. Mm-hmm. You can have mild, moderate, or severe depression. Or you can, yeah. and of course, slightly, ever so slightly below that line would be what we'll call the ups and downs of everyday life, um, uh, which uh, a person might easily um, uh, think. Oh, I'm, 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 I'm into what we'll call clinical depression. Whereas uh, on a very low score on the infantry, that might be uh, kind of like uh, uh, the ups and downs of, of everyday life. Um, uh, the the ones where you're getting into uh, moderate, uh, well, even, well, mild is mild, like it says, but when you're getting into moderate and when you're getting into severe, um, that would be, you know, absolutely identifiable um, from infantries. Um, so there's a, you know, a person wouldn't be, wouldn't be wondering. I, I wonder, could I be depressed? These would be fairly definitive, and, um, and of course that that would never come to light, or never that inventory would never be done unless that a person goes to someone and talks about it. And you would always say first protocol is your do- your doctor because you may need medication. You may. Yeah. You, you, now that's not to say that everyone gets depressed needs medication. No. Some do, some don't. Yeah. And then fa- after that, uh, if you do, fine. And if if you do, you may also need to go and talk to somebody. And sometimes the combination of the two is is the is what's the, needed. The, the the gold standard will say yeah that a person is on an antidepressant and is talking with someone say in my own line of work um uh, that, that that can be a very very good combination and thankfully nowadays um, doctors are referring um, quite a lot uh, to people uh, in the psychotherapy um, field. Because, um, you know, quite simply, um, uh, a doctor can't sit down for, with one patient for an hour. Time, and yeah. all that because yeah. there's a waiting room full of people outside the door. So, um, And then the person sort of went almost trying to help themselves in that, you know, good diet, good exercise. All of that. All good of that. sleep hygiene is that, you know, get, going to bed at the same time and getting up at the same time. And to decrease the stressors and increase the support. In other words, the things in one's life that are causing stress, to have a look at them and say, is there any one or two of those now that I could just draw a line through and that I won't be doing? Um, 
uh, and increased support, well, I suppose that ties in with talking about it. Um, uh, you know, and be, being able to gently and um, non-confrontationally be able to say no to certain things. Now, I know that can sound a bit contradictory because usually the depressed person doesn't want to kind of do or go any, do anything or go anywhere. So, I, but certain things that are, you know, just simply going to make things worse. To be able to say no and then... A little optimism would help as well. There's a great old saying, this too shall pass. pass yeah. And yeah. you know it does. Now, another thing that uh, many a person would do is to keep a daily log, a kind of a mood log, if you like. Now, it doesn't have to be an A4 page for each day. It can be one word, like uh, good day or fair day or um, uh, bad day. And you'd often find that at the end of a month, we'll call it 31 days, that even though a person might say, I've had a terrible month, it's been brutal. And when you would look back over the log for the month, there'd be quite a few days that would be down as good days. Yeah, Martin in in West Cork says, um, Hi, Joe and Trish. There are many ways to treat depression. You can go for things like acupuncture, homeopathy, physiotherapy. Psychotherapy, sorry, um, hypnosis, medicine, mindfulness, meditation, and the list goes on and on. There are always ways to ease the symptoms of a depression. I think Martin's Martin's message is there is help uh, and and one size doesn't fit all. What works for you might work for me, which is is true. The the, the operative word there, Trish, would be um, uh, alternative um, treatment. And there are a lot out there. Okay. We've got to leave it there. We will pick up on this again. And uh, next week in particular, we're going to talk about uh, when a loved one is depressed, how you can help and uh, how you can cope because it can be difficult living with somebody uh, who is battling depression. Have a great week, Joe. We'll talk next Tuesday. Thanks for that. Bye bye. That is Joe Heffernan. He runs a counselling practice in Bohabui. His number is 029 That's where I leave you for today. My thanks to Bernie Murphy, who's been filling in for John Paul over the last uh, two weeks. Thanks a million. She's been a great help. Back tomorrow at 10. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm.